presented by Millie Package. Today we are joined by arguably the busiest man at 92.9 The Game Sports Radio, the voice of Atlanta United, Mike Conti. Mike, welcome to Division 2. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Good to be with you. Well, Mike, fill, fill our listeners in a little bit. How long have you been in uh, sports radio in Atlanta? Uh, oh, boy. Uh, when did 92.9 sign on? I guess about eight plus years ago now. So I, I worked in Atlanta prior to joining 92.9. I was at WGST uh, starting in 2008. We had the Braves for a little while, and I did some work on their Braves broadcast. So um, I guess if you want to count those four or five years, then we're at a total of 12 or 13. But that makes me feel very old, <laughs> which is something I don't really like talking about as I'm about to turn 40. So I I, I worked in Savannah after I graduated from Penn State, so I, I've been in Georgia a very long time. I've been in Atlanta for more than a decade, and uh, just excited to talk with you guys today. Absolutely, and we appreciate you uh, coming on here and talking some soccer with us. So I want to shift gears here to uh, your play-by-play -play calling. Uh, you actually have one of my favorite calls in radio history. I was actually on the field for uh, the 2018 Atlanta United MLS Cup victory, but Mike, what were you feeling when you just let out the Atlanta, it's over? After we, uh, after we, you know, won our first major championship in a long time, obviously, since 1995. I was thinking, I wish I was on the field with you, Blake, and I didn't have to do a two-hour post-game show. I could go down and celebrate. That's what I was thinking. No, you know, I think we can all relate to this as Atlanta sports fans that, um, we've had to wait a long time, and, and I know there are still some people who don't really put what Atlanta United did in 2018 on the same level as, you know, if the Falcons or the Braves or if the Hawks were, were able to do it. I, I disagree with the people, and I think the 72,000 people who were there that night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium would probably disagree as well. But, you know, I, I think it was just a sense of relief, right? Like, all this pent-up frustration – all these close calls that had built up over uh, the 25 years since the Braves last won the World Series, the Eric Greggs, the 28-3s, uh, the Georgia Techs uh, uh, getting close and then running into UConn in 2004, um, you know, uh, to a tag of a I mean, all the near misses, all the close calls that we had had uh, in this city. And I, I just felt relieved like finally it's over it's over we don't have to wait anymore we can finally celebrate and be proud of being Atlanta sports fans so I think that's why I just said it's over um plus the game was over too so I, <laughs> so I guess it made a little bit of, of sense from that statement it's nothing I, I really rehearsed or anything like that I I just um you know I don't want to really say anything profound or anything like that because in that moment it's not about me the announcer it's about the players who went out and won it. So uh, hopefully I did justice to the moment. But that was, uh, that was a fun night. And I'm jealous of you, Blake, for being on the field for that. You're going to have to tell me how you pulled that off. It was, uh, it was very incredible. I, uh, I actually sat uh, right next to uh, Waka Flock of Flame, if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, was a, it was a good time. And it's cool to see the culture and, uh, you know, the people that have, uh, you know, really embodied Atlanta United. I know Chad Johnson's a big fan of the sport as well. Yeah. Um, Mike, I kind of want to, you know, talk, talk about how we put that team together. So I know he's no longer here, but Mexican national coach Tata Martino, you know, ran us, ran us into the championship. And then Darren Eels, the man who put the team together. We built a champion in only two years. What do we have to do to get back to that point? 
Well, I, I think it's stay true to the belief in yourself. Um, and I know what happened last season was very difficult for all of us to go through and all of us to see, but I, I still firmly believe if Joseph Martinez did not suffer a season-ending injury in the first match of the league year, that things could have turned out totally differently for Atlanta United. They could have been totally different in 2019 if Joseph makes a penalty to go up 2-0 against Toronto in the Eastern Conference Final. If that happens, Atlanta United is going to win that match. They're going to host Seattle in the MLS Cup Final the, the following Sunday, and they're probably going to win that. They're not going to lose the Cup Final at home. So there have been setbacks for Atlanta United, but they've been little moments that, that they just have not, un unfortunately, been able to overcome. And, and I think the, the self-belief needs to remain intact because not every owner in Major League Soccer is as ambitious and as willing to uh, do what he or she needs to do to finance the winner as Arthur Blank. And you have very smart people like Darren, uh, like Carlos Bocanegra, like uh, Gabriel Heinze, who um, can help Arthur Blank make the decisions on how best to allocate his resources. Uh, that did not change last year just because Joseph Martinez got hurt. The problem is you ran into a very unique situation where your best player got hurt, the season got interrupted by COVID. And then when the season resumed, you got put in a scheduling block against teams that matched up very well against you. So I just hope that they stay true to the philosophy that they had when they built that team in 2018. And that's to be a team that plays fast and will press and counter press. They'll play wide. They're going to be fun and entertaining. And they'll probably give up some goals. But, but their purpose is to go out and try to entertain fans, score goals, and win. Uh, nothing is going to entertain fans more than winning, whether it be 1-0 or 5-4. Uh, and, and I think Atlanta United's uh, core beliefs have not really changed, even though now they're on their, their fourth coach in the last five years. Mike, the MLS season it will kick off in April. What are your expectations uh, for Atlanta United in 2021? What is the uh, ceiling for this franchise? Well, I, I think the ceiling for a big club like Atlanta United that's ambitious, like I said, is to win the MLS Cup every year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how many competitions they'll be in. We know they're in the CONCACAF Champions League. We don't know if they're in the U.S. Open Cup. We know they won't be in League's Cup. We know they won't be in Campione's Cup. So uh, this is a club that can really go out and try to win their two competitions. They got a very favorable uh, draw in the CONCACAF Champions League, where they may not have to play a team from Mexico until the final at least, which is very different than the last two years where they, they got sucked into quarterfinal matchups against Monterey and Club America. That may not happen this year. If they win their first-round tie against LUNSA, then they could play Saprisa or Philadelphia, two teams that they should match up very well against. Um, so what am I expecting as far as the league year is concerned? If they stay healthy, uh, if Joseph Martinez does not suffer any kind of setback, I think they're going to be very dangerous going forward. And the linking between Joseph Martinez, Eric Lopez, Brooks Lennon, Marcelino Moreno, Jurgen Dom is going to be really, really fun to watch. And I think there's going to be an element of speed, especially if you include Mateus Ozetu in that as well. I think there's going to be an element of speed in the Atlanta United attack that they were not necessarily able to exploit this past year. That's going to make them very fun to watch, but it's also going to make them a, a major matchup problem uh, for clubs around MLS. I think the big question is, 
how are they going to be able to defend now without Franco Escobar, um, you know, potentially without Fernando Meza, depending on if you believe certain reports that are out there. Is Miles Robinson going to be able to stay healthy and play at the level that we saw in 2019? Uh, is Anton Walks going to be called upon to play more of a, a center back role? And can George Bellow take the next step? I thought Bellow was Atlanta United's best player in 2020 all around. Can he take the next step now and become uh, an even better two-way player that we saw in, in, in 2020? If all of these things fall into place, from a talent standpoint, Atlanta United is going to be right there uh, as the favorite to win the MLS Cup. Uh, but if they run into injury problems, if they run into some of the issues that could come up because you've assembled a brand new roster and you have a brand new coach and it's going to take a while for them to develop chemistry the first couple months of the season, you don't want to fall into an early hole and then start chasing results and, and get into trouble where you're, you're really, really behind the eight ball like you were in the, the 2020 season. But every, if everything comes together from a chemistry standpoint, they stay healthy. Um, no reason not to assume they're going to be one of the favorites. I want to I want to rewind to uh, back to the 2018 season because one of, if not the most notorious Atlanta United player, Miguel Almarone, left after the team won the MLS Cup and then made the move to Newcastle in England. So, Mike, I want to ask: Do you still follow the former Atlanta United player? If so, what have you seen from his progression? Absolutely, I follow him, uh, and I, I think it's critical that he continues to succeed because it's going to end up being an advertisement for Major League Soccer, uh, and it's going to make it, I think, easier for Major League Soccer clubs to go into Argentina, to go into uh, Brazil, potentially, to go into Venezuela, a lot of countries in South America, and say, hey, look, there's Miguel Almarone who went to MLS for two years and is now enjoying a tremendous amount of success in the biggest league in the world. I think, you know, Miggy probably struggled a little bit at first at Newcastle because his manager couldn't really find the right role for him. And now that that has been resolved, you see that he has really started to flourish. And he's become a very popular player there too. Right. So as, as Miguel Almarone continues to enjoy success in the Premier League, I think it's going to make it a lot easier for every MLS club, but especially the big ones like Atlanta United, uh, to recruit. And I, I think you've seen Atlanta United do that again this year with a, a young 21-year-old in Santiago Sosa who, um, you know, might not be quite as flashy a signing as a Pitti Martinez or an Ezekiel Barco because he's a holding midfielder. But I think he's an extremely high-quality player who's probably looking at this as an opportunity to play a couple years in MLS and then potentially make the leap to Europe for a big payday. Pitti Martinez kind of worked out the same way, too. Um, he didn't go to Europe. He went to Saudi Arabia, but he got a massive payday because he was able to use Major League Soccer as a springboard. So the more success stories you have, like Miguel Almarone, like Alfonso Davies, uh, Pitti Martinez to an extent, uh, the better it's going to be for Major League Soccer because it's going to just fortify that pipeline of young talent. Mike, you mentioned Joseph Martinez and how his absence was felt last season. He's coming off a pretty serious injury. Do you expect him to immediately return to his MVP form? Well, immediately returning to MVP form, I think, could be a big ask because the MVP form he had in 2018 was historic. Uh, he was scoring at a historic rate. 
Uh, and I am aware that Carlos Vela went out and bettered that the, the following year, but those types of seasons anywhere in the world, let alone MLS, uh, are extremely rare. So to expect that Joseph's going to go out and immediately score 30 goals, uh, that might be a tough ask. But Joseph had been, I guess, dogged a little bit by minor knee issues here and there. It really bothered him, he said, during the 2019 playoffs. And hopefully, a full year of rest and rehab and training has Joseph maybe feeling more comfortable than he did uh, during the, uh, the 2019 season uh, when his, his scoring rate declined a little bit uh, and, and maybe he was just suffering from some lingering things that don't exist anymore. So I, I think the big thing with Joseph is you just want him to be happy. You want him to be in a good spot mentally. And if you follow him on social media, it seems like he's in a really good spot mentally right now. And he's very, very eager to get back on the pitch. I, I think the challenge is going to be for Heinze is how do you restrain him in such a way where he's not going out the first week of training camp or in the first couple of preseason friendlies that Atlanta United is going to have, where he's going he's gonna to be so pent up with the desire to play uh, fast and wide open and free, and, and you hope that he doesn't put himself at risk of aggravating an injury. I think that's going to be the biggest key. Joseph is such an intense competitor. How do you get him to play within himself and not have him try to do too much in the preseason? I, I think that's uh, maybe the only concern I would have for Joseph going into 2021. And Mike, now you just mentioned Gabriel Heinze, the new head man of Atlanta United, replacing Frank DeBoer. Um, Tell, tell us as fans why we should feel better about Gabriel Heinze and get more of a Tata Martino feel versus a Frank DeBoer feel. Well, and I, look, I think it's still a little unclear if Heinze is going to emulate Tata Martino in any way. In fact, Heinze has really made a point of saying that I'm my own man. I, I, I have my own philosophy. I didn't even speak to Tata Martino about this opening. I think a lot of people have made the assumption because there are club links and national links between Heinze and Tata that it's going to look the same on the pitch. And that might not be the case. I think when you study Heinze and his tactics and how in some ways they emulate Marcelo Bielsa, uh, you would expect that you're going to see Atlanta United be more of a press counter press team, that they're going to play extremely wide. Not that they didn't play wide under Frank, but they could play extremely wide now. Uh, and that they're going to be uh, a little more direct, perhaps. And, and there are going to be overtones of the 2017-2018 Atlanta United teams if they play that way. But I, I want to be really careful because Heinze has been pretty clear about this, that he's not coming to Atlanta to be Tata Martino. He's coming to Atlanta to be Gabriel Heinze. And I think there are going to be little nuances, little differences that we're going to pick up on once we get to see this team play. And I can't wait to see them play. I think there's going to be a, a few differences that, that might at first take some time to adjust to as fans, as observers, to watch it. But I think in the end, uh, it'll be a system that best fits Atlanta United's personnel. Heinze did a tremendous amount of research before taking this job, presented a, a dossier to Carlos Spoken Agra and to Darren Eels, his evaluation of this club. And I think Heinze is going to be very, very methodical from a tactical standpoint in formulating tactics that best fits the personnel that he has available. 
Mike, switching gears a little bit, uh, in your time in Atlanta, you've been a part of some of the city's biggest moments, such as the Falcons run to the Super Bowl, the 2015 Hawks Eastern Conference Finals team, and even the 2018 MLS All-Star Game. What moment aside from the 2018 MLS Cup victory is the most memorable in your broadcasting career? Uh, without question, the Super Bowl. It's not memorable from a positive reason, but I mean, it, without a doubt, it's the Super Bowl. And and the buildup to the Super Bowl, really. I mean, the Falcons went on such a run really after the bye week uh, in that 2016 season. And I think we got the sense as they went into the playoffs and they pretty much dominated Seattle and then they dominated uh, Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay in the championship game that a lot of people were not giving the Falcons much of a chance against the Patriots. And I remember the day before uh, we were hosting a party down in Houston, the radio station was, and we were doing a show there. And, and I went on the air and said, guys, I, I, this is our time now. You know, the Patriots have had their time. I, I think this is our time. I really, really believe the Falcons were going to win that game. I really did. Uh, I thought no one was respecting that Falcons team. And, and the sad part about it was I thought the Falcons were set up to have a prolonged stretch of success because that team was relatively young. And that team was in relatively good shape salary cap-wise and keeping that young core together. As it turns out, a lot of members of that young core weren't as good as we thought they were. Uh, you know, Vic Beasley is someone who comes to mind. Vic Beasley won the sack title that year and then kind of went on a milk carton after that. But, you know, go going to the stadium that Sunday, I, I really, really thought the Falcons were going to win that game. And I was wondering, you know, how are we going to handle the parade? How are we going to handle the, the post-game stuff on Monday? They even booked me a late flight back from Houston on Monday. I had to miss a Hawks game because we thought I was going to have to cover stuff in Houston on Monday. Um, and I, I know this is kind of a, a weird personal anecdote, but the month before the Super Bowl, my wife and I went out to the Rose Bowl. Penn State was playing in the Rose Bowl against USC. And uh, that was a game that played out a lot like the Super Bowl, where Penn State got out to a, a pretty comfortable lead in the third quarter. And then, you know, a weird play here, weird bounce there, and suddenly now USC is back to within a couple touchdowns, and then they really start to get the momentum in the fourth quarter. Uh, and, and you get nervous that, uh-oh, you know, we might not be able to walk out of here with a celebration after all. And I remember texting my wife, during the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl, I was standing behind Wes and Dave in the booth. Uh, and I, I remember texting my wife, this feels a lot like the Rose Bowl. And she goes, no, 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 shut up. It's not that bad. It's 28-9. Don't worry about it. This isn't the Rose Bowl. I kept texting her, this is the Rose Bowl. This is the Rose Bowl. So long story short, um, I think we got to the two-minute warning and the Falcons were still leading, but the Patriots had the ball. And I decided to, to pull out my phone and film in the booth just in case there was like an interception or some kind of turnover that would have sealed the game. I thought it was important that we recorded that moment in the broadcast booth. So I kept, you know, recording play after play after play, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, when it got to overtime, I put the phone away because I knew what was going to happen. Uh, yeah. And then I had to do, and then I had to do a post-game show and try to explain what had happened in a objective as way, in as an objective way as possible, without my own feelings of disappointment uh, kind of clouding the broadcast. And yeah. I could barely get 
words out. It was awful. It was her. I, I doubt anyone listened to the post game show. I think anyone who was driving home from a Super Bowl party probably just turned the radio off. They didn't want to deal with it anymore. So it was probably my least listened to post game show ever. But it was by far the most difficult because it was just so emotional. How did this happen? How did this happen to us again in Atlanta? It happened again in, the, in a historic way, probably the worst possible way. And I remember John Michaels was with me on the postgame show, sitting in the booth. We just couldn't come up with words. Yeah, that had to be an absolutely tough show to do. We actually had um, Mark Zeno on the show a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned how, just how fun it was uh, to be in Atlanta media during the time of the Falcons run. Uh, but shifting into another friend of the show, uh, you've worked along Steve Holloman on a nightly basis. What makes Steve so great at what he does? Oh, he loves the team he broadcasts for, and he is an unapologetic ambassador for the Atlanta Hawks. And Steve has no problem holding referees accountable if he feels they do the Hawks wrong. I love Steve. He is uh, he's amazing, at his, and I really envy it, his ability – to describe the movements of the game in real time, almost kind of like a half step ahead. Um, well, it, it's almost like watching a, a really good billiards player who's always kind of thinking like one move ahead, one shot ahead. Steve's ability to know what's coming next and be prepared to describe it as it's happening is remarkable. Um, and, and like I said, he, he's got a tremendous sense of humor he's really really funny and he loves the atlanta hawks he loves the city of atlanta if i if i got into a, a debate or an argument with anyone or god forbid a street fight i wouldn't want steve in my corner mike final question for you here um talking a little bit about atlanta's sports team's future between the braves the falcons the hawks and atlanta united which one of these franchises do you see hoisting a trophy next braves because the World Series is in October, the MLS Cup is December. There we go. I really, really think I, – I don't think the Braves are getting nearly enough respect. I saw a prediction just today. Someone picked them to finish fourth in the, in the division. I just have no idea why anyone would think that. They, uh, they needed to go out and get starting pitching, and they did. And you know, getting Mike Soroka healthy is basically like signing a 20-game winner. It's kind of like Joseph Martinez. Uh, when you didn't have him last year, you, you basically have gone out and signed a former MVP, even though he's already been on your team. I really, really like the Braves a lot. And honestly, it was disappointing what happened in the NLCS this past October. But I think going through that experience will have them better positioned to deal with uh, a playoff series, a difficult playoff series like that this year. So I'm really, really bullish on the Braves this year, really bullish. And Alex Anthopoulos, even with Ozuna, has done a remarkable job of signing good position players to team-friendly contracts. Uh, I, I think we're going to have a really exciting fall with the Braves and with Atlanta United. I think the Falcons and the Hawks are further away. I absolutely love the enthusiasm um, for the Braves this season. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. We've been following your work for a long time, and uh, you provide some great insight for us, so we appreciate you coming on Division 2. Thank you for listening to Division 2 Sports. For all Division 2 Sports news, follow us on social media at Division underscore 2 Sports.